Washington Capitals are the 2018 Stanley Cup champions. It's not a dream. It's not a desert mirage. It's Lord Stanley, and he is coming to Washington. Welcome back to Japers Drink Radio. I am your host, Adam Stringham, and today I'm happy to be joined by co-host Greg Young and Jonathan Press. Let's start with Greg. How you doing, Greg? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I was uh, talking to you guys a little before, but uh, I am I have a gathering of friends that we've all had the COVID vaccine soon. So I am delightfully excited to do that and take a, take a day off of hockey. That is pretty nice. What about you, John? Uh, I'm good. Uh, no complaints here. I feel like we are... Coming out of a long winter, um, I know that you're not uh, going to give me too much sympathy uh, being down in Texas, Adam. But uh, it's been it's been long and cold, and I think that uh, the end, metaphorically and literally, is kind of uh, brighter days, warmer days are ahead. So, uh, how are you doing down there in in Texas? Uh, I'm doing all right. We um, it was a rough couple of days. It, it's especially tough for the four month old. Yeah. Uh, we're fortunate to have really good friends down here that kind of treat us like second family. That we were able to go stay with one of the nights. Um, another night we had the hotel. Um, so it, it was better than it could have been, but uh, it it was still not not a lot of fun to to be honest. Uh, I mentioned on Twitter the biggest problem was every time we lost power, we'd also lose cell service. And um, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but, you know, so many of us, that's how we get all of our information these days. So sure. we just really cut off from everything. Um, you know, we weren't able to book a hotel one of the nights because of that. And uh, just because we couldn't get we couldn't get service. So it uh, wasn't wasn't super fun. Uh, being a northerner, I also did not know the local radio stations for news. And there's only so many times you can press seek on your car radio. Before <laughs> right. you give up, so. uh, but all, all things considered, it's better now. Um, and, and, and that, that's certainly a step in the right direction, but, uh, enough about how I'm doing. Let's talk a little bit about how the caps are doing. Wow. Um, Nicely done. It wouldn't be a good transition if Greg didn't comment on it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, capitals are coming off of a, a good comeback performance on Sunday against the New Jersey devils. Most interesting to me, we saw them put up 40 shots um, which was great because the Capitals have just, honestly, in my, in my opinion, have been a bit dull uh, recently to watch. Even even if they've won, they've been really playing at a pretty slow pace. Um, I want to start with you, John. Kind of what are what are your thoughts on the Caps? What are you seeing? Are you still thinking they're a bubble team? Uh, has your opinion changed at all recently? What's on your mind? Uh, well, I think they're absolutely a bubble team. And uh, I mean, it, it's pretty simple, right? It's straightforward that th- there are four teams in the division that are going to make the playoffs uh, of the eight teams in the division. I think it's pretty safe to pencil in the Bruins as uh, certainly one of the top four teams in the division, probably the best team in the division. Uh, probably pretty safe to put the Sabres down at the bottom. Uh, I think... You could probably uh, also put the uh, the Devils and the Rangers down there. So uh, the way I see it, you've got the Caps, Flyers, Islanders, and Penguins fighting for three spots. And 
you know, right now, who are the Caps definitely better than of those uh, three teams? Uh, uh, you know, the, the other three teams. And I don't know that you can say they're definitely consistently better than any of them. I mean, I think when they play well, they're better than all of them. When they play poorly, they're worse than all of them. So, uh, you know, uh, I was kind of thinking earlier, like, is is the more pessimistic take that uh, the Caps aren't playing well right now, despite a, a pretty reasonably good record and, and results? Uh, is the, the more pessimistic take that they're not playing well or that they are, you know, that this is uh, kind of they are who we thought they were. And I mean, to me, uh, I think they are who who we thought they were. And, you know, the, some of the uh, percentages are a little bonkers uh, right now. I would expect them over the long run to get better goaltending than they've gotten so far, which, uh, you know, I haven't been happy with the goaltending. But, uh, you know, uh, they're also shooting the lights out of the place. Uh, that probably will regress a little bit, too. So, um, you know, uh, on whole, I think uh, this is a bubble team. It, it's a team that might be good. Uh, they're definitely not great. Uh, so, you know, that's where I am on this team. And it's I think it's where I, I've been all along. And, and I haven't seen too much uh, to change that. Although, you know, there have been some encouraging signs lately. And uh, it's a team that's gone through, obviously, the big uh covid sidelining of the four russian players for a while and adjustment to a new coach no preseason shortened schedule with no you know fewer practices games delayed and or postponed because their opponents get you know covid or whatever and uh for some reason other teams get their games canceled but the caps don't but uh you know so yeah uh that's that's me saying uh, it, it's overall right now in aggregate, it's probably where I would have expected them to be. Yeah, that sounds about right to me. Um, you know, I think you talked about kind of when the Caps are great, they're great. Uh, one of the greatest games I thought to watch was the Caps Flyers game from a few weeks ago where, you know, Ovechkin and Wilson and Backstrom were all just on top of their game. And um, the Capitals, in my mind, were clearly the better team for that game. And uh, goaltending was the difference. Uh, I, I believe the Capitals, uh, up until maybe when they pulled their goalie, were getting uh, maybe one save every – or two saves out of every three shots or something like that. It, it was very, very brutal. That was the one where they pulled Vanacek, too, and it was and, – yes. and, and, as they should have. Like, he just gave up a couple of really tough goals to give up there. Yeah, it was – but it was still an exciting game because uh, Ovi looks like vintage Ovi, and we're, we're going to kind of go back to him in a second. But I, I want to first kind of Greg – how do your thoughts kind of differ on, on what you're seeing with the Caps right now? How are your thoughts different from what John said? No, I mean, I think I agree with a lot of what John said, because I think that we I think we had a podcast before the year where we all said, I think they're a bubble team. I think that the Bruins are clearly the best team in the division. I think the Sabres are clearly bad. And weirdly, actually, I think our takes hold up there. I think the Flyers maybe are a little worse than we had thought they might be, but still mm-hmm. they're, they're getting the results they need. So there you go. I think for the Caps, I... I guess my, my thoughts are we've had five games or so with the whole lineup in and they were three and two and they've had some 
really high highs and some really bad lows during that stretch. I, like you, you think about with the full lineup, they, they played this great game against the Penguins where they won three, one, and you had the third line just go nuts and really pretty much the whole team played well. And so you're like, okay, like this is a full team with a full roster. And they just looked really good against one of the teams that they're going to be competing against. And then it was like, what, like two games later, they played maybe one of their worst games against the Rangers where they were just sleepwalking through the entire game. And I mean, I you hear so much of, oh, it's the afternoon games with the Capitals and yada yada. And then they give all these things about how, oh, our disruption happens and everything. And that, that applies to the other team exactly the same amount as does the Capitals. And so it's just a little baffling to me to hear that excuse. But that aside, I mean, they're three and two with their full roster. That's about a bubble record. And that's roughly about where I thought they would be. And I think it's going to, how they're getting there, I think is really interesting. But yeah, I mean, overall from a 10,000 foot view, that's kind of what you'd expect. Now, I'm going back to Ovi now, as I, as I promised. Um, I talked about kind of, in my mind, the high watermark of his season so far. Individually, it was the game against the Flyers. And there have been some rougher games in between. Um, the Obviously, he scored the game, what ended up being the game-winning goal against New Jersey on Sunday. But, John, what, what are you seeing out of Ovi? I mean, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter kind of trying to say that they think he's really starting to show the signs of his age. I'm not quite so sure personally, but, but where do you land on that? Um, well, okay. So I think that uh, he hasn't been great so far this season, uh, particularly at five on five. And, um, you know, uh, but I don't know that it's necessarily age related. So, uh, you know, maybe I, I'm kind of uh, splitting the baby a little bit on it. But, uh, you know, the results are there. 15 points in 13 games. Uh, the goals are a little down. The assists are a little up, um, you know. But to me, he's not... Uh, He's not generating much at five on five, but, you know, the team generally kind of isn't either. I mean, Carl Haglin's getting more scoring chances per game at five on five uh, than Ovi is. And that's uh, he's obviously burying like one out of every 7000 of those. But uh, but, you know, I I, I honestly if you look at. Stuff like uh, scoring chance generation at five on five, uh, you know, individual scoring chances, individual high danger scoring chances, you know, um, the numbers don't look good for Ovi right now. And uh, that's they got to figure that out. They got to get him with whichever of the top two centers is going to work for him. Uh, You know, they even had him out there with Lars Eller the last game uh, to just try to get something going. And it's, it's just, it's not really working. And uh, you know, Nick Backstrom's got 22 points in 17 games. Uh, I think that those numbers are a lot better than his play has been, to be honest. And Tom Wilson's another one who was super early on, but man, he's, you know, kind of, uh, I, I don't know if it was that shorthanded goal that turned him into uh, something else or, or whether this has kind of been coming for, for a bit, but uh, you know, he hasn't been very good at, at five on five either. And, you know, th- it's a team right now, uh, you know, th- this was an area that we probably 
uh, fairly identified as concerning under uh, the new coach is five on five offense. And uh, right now it's, it's probably my biggest area of concern. And, and, you know, you've got guys in the top nine, like TJ Oshie and Richard Panic who don't have a single goal at five on five yet uh, this season. And, uh, you know, they've been generating a lot of chances. That was our new number uh, on, on Monday was uh, just how overdue these guys are and how snake bitten they are. But at some point you, you, you know, you still got to score goals and uh, this team hasn't really been able to do it enough at five on five. Uh, You know, it's great to lean on guys like Jake Vrana and even Connor Sherry, but um, you know, they, they need more at five on five. And uh, to me, that starts with Alex Ovechkin. Greg, John talked a bit about trying to optimize Ovechkin in the lineup and, and get it. Obviously, he, he just said get more five-on-five five offense. Um, we saw Laviolette do some kind of funky line swapping on Sunday. John already alluded to it about putting Ovechkin with Lars Eller. Uh, what are your thoughts kind of on that optimization, and do you think it would lead to more five-on-five five goals, or, or where do you see the Caps lines kind of going moving forward? Yeah, I think Ovechkin's a, a perplexing problem. And the reason why he's perplexing is that it's tough to find a center that is going to really maximize his skill set. I, you know, I, you because you look at him with Backstrom, and because they, they've they've tried the the Ovechkin Backstrom Wilson line, and part of the problem with with Ovechkin and Backstrom together these days is just speed. They just it's going to be tough for them in the neutral zone to kind of generate those off- offensive opportunities through it. So you think, okay, like let's put him with Kuznetsov, and then you say, all right, like they defensively those two together are a train wreck, and so and that's been going on now for like three or four years. So. I, I, you get the idea of putting him with Lars Eller just because Lars Eller seems to be one of the caps that actually can generate offense. And so do I think that's a sustainable solution? Probably not, but I can kind of understand the rationale for it. But kind of zooming into your broader question, I think one of the interesting things to me, and I know, JP, you've talked about this too, is kind of this idea that LaViolette has been happy to break up any part of the thir- the top three lines. And he's tried some different combinations. Some of them I like, and some of them I don't. But he seems to, co- to continually be happy to put Carl uh, Haglin, Garnett Hathaway, and Nick Dowd together, kind of no matter what. And I think you can kind of debate, like, the efficacy of that line. I'm not as high on them as a lot of people are. And so... I think it's just kind of an interesting thought that LaViolette kind of come higher high, come hell or high water is keeping those three together. And at maybe the expense of kind of trying some different things, you know, even throughout the top six and top nine. And so I think that's interesting to me that he's sticking with that line. I think we could talk about the defense too, and I would imagine we will. I it seems like LaViolette's tried basically every combination under the sun. And uh, I think some of them, as uh, John has alluded to and written about, have stuck in some of them, uh, mainly the uh, Nick Jensen and Zidane Chara pair, uh, probably should not be together very much. And so I think it's, if you're LaViolette, you're at the point now in the year where you've really tried a lot of different things. And I think some of them are going to be like, 
I, you would, I think, start to really try to see patterns in what he's doing. And we haven't really seen it yet, but also we've only had a full Caps lineup that's healthy for four or five games now. So I, I think I'm going to be really interested to see going forward kind of the patterns that he's been kind of generating, because I think so far it's been a little scattered. So, John, when we talk about kind of uh, – Greg talked about the lines, but do you think we need to see some sort of infusion here of of other players? I mean, Sprong, I thought, played really well earlier in the season. Obviously, Luke, who writes on the site, is all about Daniel Sprong. <laughs> and Conor McMichael just put up his first uh, professional hat trick in the AHL uh, this past weekend. So the Capitals do have two more skilled players – semi-available to them do you think they need to put them in or do you think we can kind of just tweak what's kind of already uh available to us um well i I guess you know is is uh daniel sprong uh better offensively than Hagler or hathaway uh no question you know i i don't think that's any question but um you know guys like Hagler and hathaway kill penalties so they're in the lineup. You're not going to put Daniel Sprong out there to kill penalties. You, you know, you could put him in there uh, to try to get a little spark from your fourth line and uh, rejigger the the penalty kill and maybe you know throw T.J. Oshie out there a little bit more or uh, or even Nick Backstrom or, or whoever. Um, but you know, the reality, Greg, you know, noted that they that line has been the one constant of the uh forwards uh so far this this year and it's because those three guys uh aren't good enough to play in the top nine and so you have a top nine that you keep shuffling around you just know that uh those other three guys aren't in the mix for any of those uh top nine positions so like yeah you could put sprong in and get an x you know squeeze an extra fraction of a uh, expected goal per game out of uh, at your fourth line. But, you know, does it really matter if your top nine aren't producing the way that they need to or, or specific, specifically the top six? Because as we as we've noted, Sherry, Eller and Ponick have been uh, a terrific third line in terms of uh, expected goal production. So, uh, you know, it, it it can it's tempting to say, let's shuffle those uh young guys in but uh you know does daniel sprong really belong on a fourth line no i mean daniel sprong's a guy who if connor sherry gets hurt or if tj oshi gets hurt you pop him into the lineup and say okay we're not going to lose that much uh i don't think he's a guy that you pop into your fourth line um and you know similarly with uh connor mcmichael you right now have uh two centers who can win a face-off and that's Eller and Dowd uh, who is actually up to almost 53%. Dowd's on a, a, a real face-off heater right now. But uh, so, you know, you put Connor McMichael in, uh, you know, maybe you move Kuzi to a wing, maybe you, you know, it, it seems like a lot of, um, a, a lot of shuffling of guys when the real problem is, you uh, your your guys i mean your guys got to be your guys and those guys are tom wilson and alex ovechkin and tj oshi and evgeny kuznetsov and nick backstrom and uh jacob rana who uh i mean uh, instead of swapping in sprong for Haglin or sprong for hathaway i would 
actually play the shit out of Jacob Frana, you know, a, a guy who does nothing but produce in when he's given the time. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, you can infuse the lineup and, and maybe it's a different story on defense. Maybe we'll get there and talk about that. But uh, up front, you know, I don't see any let let Connor McMichael kind of develop a little bit in the minors in a role where they lean on him for scoring rather than being an extra here or whatever. Uh, it, you know, let um, let Daniel Sprong, you know, fill in as needed uh, up here. But uh, it really comes down to those top nine and specifically those top six uh, just generating more and doing more on offense. John, yeah. I want to ask you this because I got to not to interject the host. Would you would you keep the the Shiri uh, Ponick Eller line together, or would you were you kind of with Laviolette when he when he swapped them around? Uh, I like the line a lot. I, it obviously had great chemistry and uh, great results. Uh, I understand when he broke them up. I I don't look at that as. Uh, him breaking up the third line because they weren't doing something he wanted them uh, to do. I see it as, okay, we've got three guys who are actually going. Let's try to spread those out and get the other lines going. And, you know, sometimes that works. Sometimes it it, it isn't as effective. Um, you know, so uh, I understand it, it, it's, you don't break up a good line and they've been a good line unless your other lines aren't, uh, working and you're just trying to to figure it out the the sudoku puzzle that is you know uh 12 forwards uh three you know four lines three forwards on each line and everything and figuring out how best to maximize that so you know if if sherry eller and panic are at a 70 percent expected goals and then the other two lines are at 45 percent uh, if you break up the that third line and everybody can get to 55%, uh, you're going to win more games. Uh, you know, uh, I didn't just do the math in my head, but I think you are. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, it, it, clearly, if you have three lines that can do something, and then if your fourth line can saw off their minutes, especially if they're being thrown out against, uh, you know, higher competition than they ought to be, uh, then you're you're in business. But like if you have uh, a top six that are going to be in the 45 to 50 range, uh, it probably doesn't matter how good your third line is. Yeah, that's uh, that's valid. You met, brought up a good point, too, about Connor McMichael. The Caps are fortunate this year um, that he's able to play in Hershey. Obviously, they were in a similar uh, situation with Tom Wilson a few years back where he was too good for juniors. Um, but wasn't eligible to play in the AHL, so he played, you know, that very limited minutes in the NHL. Um, and this has been great that McMichael's able to get this time professionally, uh, despite the fact um, that he's not ready for the NHL just yet, or at least not ready for big minutes. Um, Greg, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about Evgeny Kuznetsov and what you've seen from him defensively. Yeah, well, we ran the numbers. Uh, I think it was John and I kind of did this independently a few days ago, and they basically showed him getting Kuznetsov at like a shot suppression level that he has never had in his career. And I think if you look at it the last couple of games, particularly as he's played with Ovechkin, it's 
started to look, I think, a little more normal. But that being said, I think I've at least noticed a more engaged Kuznetsov in the defensive zone. And I think some of that is going to depend on who he plays with because he's never going to be the anchor of a strong defensive line. That's just not Kuznetsov game. And I don't think at this point in his career, he's going to be changing his game super substantially to really become that kind of player. But I think with Kuznetsov, the big question that everyone has is you say, okay, he's not going to be Mark Stone, right? He's not going to do that. But can he at least not be bad enough defensively to mitigate the considerable offensive gifts that he gives at the other side of the rink? And I think... I need a little more data to see, you know, kind of whether Kuznetsov is that player now or whether he's made consistent changes to his game. But I think at minimum, it's been interesting and something that I've kind of kept my eye on, at least uh, at least early. I think it's going to be interesting. John, have you noticed it? I mean, Gregory said you guys ran the numbers together, so I'm assuming you're on board with him. Uh, well, I mean, I've noticed that the charts look good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what I've noticed. Uh, and, but, you know, I, I'm not yet buying that uh, Kuznetsov for Selkie shirt. Um, I, I think that's a little premature. Uh, and they're goosing the shit out of this dude's uh, offensive zone starts. So that's something else to pay attention to. Yeah, it's like, like 70% when we looked or something. Right. Like when, when you know, if, uh, let's see. I mean, I actually have natural stat trick open here. And his offensive zone start percentage is uh, north of 80%. And, you know, you're, yeah, you're, you're, Shot suppression numbers are going to look all right when you start in the offensive zone, even if you only win four out of every 10 faceoffs or whatever. And, you know, if you're maybe hopping over the boards uh, when it leaves the zone or, you know, the other team's not getting those quality chances. So, uh, you know, he, he's off to a terrific start uh, in terms of the underlying numbers. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think that Evgeny Kuznetsov has decided, okay, I'm going to dedicate myself to becoming the next Pavel Datsuk or, you know, round out my game because it's time or something like that. It doesn't strike me like uh, that's really in his character. Yeah. He's always going to have that quote out there about how uh, he probably could be one of the best players in the world, but he just, uh, he didn't think it'd be very fun. So yeah. Doesn't (laughs) want to. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's a quote that sounds perfectly fine after you win the Stanley Cup, but uh, three years later of substandard defense, it's a little frustrating to see that. You know, maybe, maybe I'm one of the few people that I'm, I'm just still not. I don't think any of the guys that are on that team that were on that team are ever going to be able to do something that will ever get me that riled up about kind of who they are as players or anything like that. You know, they were especially guys who were key pieces like Kuznetsov, uh, who are arguably was the best cap in that run. Um, certainly had a case for the con smite. Um, let's talk a little bit about goaltending. Um, John, you already kind of mentioned it. I, I want to get your, your, your kind of more specific thoughts. I, I think it's very interesting that the Capitals did not decide to go with Samsonov on Sunday um, instead of electing to play Craig Anderson. What do, what are you seeing in that uh, and kind of more in general, just kind of thoughts on goaltending in general for the Capitals? Yeah, I mean, I guess they didn't feel that uh, Samsonov was ready and it sounded like uh, a conditioning thing as much as anything, because by all accounts, he was 
good in his last game in Hershey and even good in the game he gave up uh, five goals or whatever, uh, which is why when you're uh, – don't judge a goalie's performance in the AHL by the out-of-town scoreboard, please. That's just incredibly reductive. And uh, it's a league in which goalies can have good games and give up some uh, goals and bad games and uh, not give up anything. So, you know, just – like let's use our heads and uh, make uh, let let the people who actually saw the games uh, tell us how the goalies did in those games. So, uh, but it, it does sound like it was a conditioning thing, and if he's not ready, he's not ready. And uh, you know, it's a guy who hasn't played in forever, and uh, they want to make sure that he's ready to go. And Craig Anderson, I thought was very solid, uh, uh, you know, happy for a, a fellow old guy uh, getting in there and uh, playing well. And he's a guy who uh, by all accounts uh, deserved a, a game and deserved a win. And so I'm glad that he got it, but you know, so far, I think that, uh, that the, they, they've, the goaltending has been I, – I guess we could say that Vanacek's been good enough. Um, I, I don't think he's been as uh, good consistently as the goaltending they need if they're going to uh, – certainly if they're going to make any noise uh, come playoff time. Uh, but, you know, can they get to the playoffs – with uh, the kind of goaltending that Vanacek has given them so far. And uh, I'm not sure they can. Uh, he's ha- had his ups and downs. Obviously, workload is a huge part of that. You know, maybe Vanacek is a lot better if he's not playing a dozen straight games or whatever it was, 13. I don't know what he ended up at. But um, so it's hard to say where the goaltending is right now, but I think uh, for years uh, upon years, this has been the plan that this year, Ilya Samsonov would be the number one goalie for this team. And, uh, you know, they let Philip Grubauer go. Uh, He's turned into a terrific starter in the NHL. Uh, They let Braden Holtby go. He uh, won the cup in 2018. <laughs> <laughs> Dodged a little and, bit of his current performance and, there, John. <laughs> uh, hey, hey, you can never say anything negative about Braden Holtby to me without uh, – we will fight. And uh, yeah, He won a cup. That's all that matters. And, and, um, and, and so it's forever it's been the plan was this year – it was going to be Samsonov's time. And, uh, you know, I loved the plan B that they put in place over the summer. It didn't uh, work out uh, because of uh, Henrik Lundqvist's uh, health issues. Um, Vanacek has stepped in when Samsonov wasn't ready to go, and he's he was good enough. And, uh, and I think that's what Kevin ultimately concluded in his uh, piece last week on uh, Vanacek. But right now it's time for Ilya Samsonov to uh, step in and step up and take this goaltending position. It's not going to be handed to him, uh, which is great. I mean, it's great that uh, both Vanacek and Anderson uh, have played 
fairly well uh, in their recent starts, uh, well enough that it's not like, uh, help me, Obi-Wan, Samson, of your only hope <laughs> kind of shit. So, uh, but I mean, now's the time for Samsonov. So I'm super interested in seeing how he uh, responds to that challenge. And uh, really, uh, I don't think it's a huge exaggeration to say this team is going to be as good as uh, probably as he can be. And uh, if he's very good, this team has enough to win some games. And if he's not very good and every game is going to be – you know, who's the first team to three or four, I I don't think they can be very good. And uh, so I am, uh, you know, no pressure kid, but, uh, and it is his birthday today. I think, I think he's 24 today. So happy birthday, Ilya Samsonov. Uh, All our hopes lie in your glove. Go, go win the caps of Stanley cup. Yeah. Something like that. (laughs) And I, I mean, I, I'm with you, John. And I think it's, the other thing I, I I would say, and I, I this will hint at a little bit of what I what I'm gonna hopefully release tomorrow is I like the Caps at least from an advanced advanced analytics standpoint their goaltending hasn't been particularly good they they have two of the bottom three uh, in terms of uh, goal saved above replacement although obviously Samsonov has only had two games so I think I would agree with a lot of what John said and I would also say that I I think I'm. It's worth, I think, trying to make sure that we filter our thoughts of the Caps through the fact that they've gotten goaltending that you would say is probably below the average. And I think whether you would say whether that'll continue or not, I think is an open question. And John is right. It's all going to be about Samsonov and it's all going to be about whether he can be at least good enough to, you know, make it so that the Caps aren't having to win five, four type games, because I don't think they have the offensive horses to really do that anymore. And yeah, I mean, uh, no, no pressure to him. So enough time to step up. Yeah. It, uh, he's got an interesting case because as JB pointed out, he was the heir apparent of some self-inflicted wounds, uh, at the end of last season, obviously not being able to join the team in the bubble because of some off the ice, uh, injury. And it, it then again, with the, coronavirus um policy uh i don't know breaking protocol i guess and then then of course getting a very severe bout of the virus so um it's going to be interesting for him Uh, hopefully it's not too much of a neuvers holpy situation we don't need anybody going in the media when they get home to russia in the future and saying it's the easiest competition they've ever had or or anything like that if you guys remember when when Neuber I, I guarantee you, hope he read that quote though. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, all right, let's, let's talk a little bit uh, before we wrap this up about what's going on in front of the masked men. Um, John, you wrote recently about the defense. You know, it's it, it's interesting. I mean, we we talked so much when the season started about how the Capitals were activating defensively, um, getting involved in, in the offense. John Carlson obviously had a huge goal in Sunday's game against New Jersey. Um, what are your thoughts on the defense, the pairings, and are we seeing Zdeno Char kind of fall into a more optimal spot for him with a bit less minutes played? Uh, I don't know uh, about uh, about the Chara question, um, but you know, uh, I wrote a little while back, and it, it still holds that that they have. Uh, I think th- they had three. Um, 
defensive pairings that are above 50% in expected goals at five on five. And those three pairings just so happen to uh, include uh, each of the six uh, defensemen once. So like if they rolled out uh, Chara Carlson at the, as the first defensive pairing, that pairing right now is at 51.8% uh, expected goals. And that's probably playing in the toughest minutes that the Caps have had. I mean, that's protecting leads. That's starting in the defensive zone. Because that, that would be the, the pairing that Peter Laviolette would throw out in tough situations. Then you have a second pair. Uh, Brendan Dillon and Justin Schultz, they're at 57.6%. Very good. Uh, you know, very solid in against secondary competition. And then... Uh, Orlov and Jensen as, uh, you know, nominally a third pair, just absolutely killing it at 68.3% expected goals. Now, all those pairs are in the, you know, 60 to 80 minute range so far. So they're small samples, but like to me, uh, when I see good results in small samples, uh, my inclination would be keep, keep doing what you're doing until those samples are, are bigger and they either prove you wrong or they prove you right. Because, uh, you know, there's not necessarily reason to go away from that, but then you get into stuff like, uh, you know, uh, Char, Char and Schultz, for example, is at 50%. That's good. Uh, but that, and that leaves Carlson and Dylan at 49% at 49 and a half percent. Uh, so that, that's your top four then with that really good Orlov Jensen pair. Uh, I mean, I guess that seems to work too, but then you're, you're right around 50% instead of being North of, you know, 52, 53%. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer. Uh, it, I, I, one thing I do know is that, you know, people who say Chara needs a night off because he's old and tired, uh, they obviously don't know Zdeno Chara's workout regimen and his <laughs> uh, cardio health and his fitness because that motherfucker like climbs Kilimanjaro. He's like 43 and he like climbs mountains. And uh, I, pr I promise you he's not tired. You know, he, is he getting slower as he's getting older? Yeah, probably. You know, the, that that. I buy, but you know, is Zidane Chara getting tired? Uh, no, Zidane Chara will probably never in his life experience what uh, the three of us probably uh, <laughs> at the end of uh, sitting at our desks for a day, we're like, man, I'm fucking tired, right? That, that I, I, I guarantee that Chara bar barely ever gets there. So I, I don't think that's a problem with Chara. So. You know, but but certainly putting him out in situations in which he can be successful uh, is is key. And it's key uh, for any of these guys. You know, you want to put Dmitry Orlov in a, uh, a spot that he can be successful. You want to put John Carlson in a spot that he can be successful. I mean, Carlson uh, in that Sunday game against the Devils, uh, I, I didn't think he looked good defensively and then he you know uh does everything uh at the offensive end and it was kind of a uh prototypical john carlson game so uh it, you know it, it like everything else it's figuring out what works how to deploy it uh not just as uh defensive pairings but also as five-man units you know i think that uh I, I haven't really looked too much closer at that but uh certainly you're going to want to consider 
who you're putting, uh, which uh, forward lines you're putting your defensemen out with and, you know, whether you're giving them a chance to succeed. Uh, and, you know, I, I know that Orlov Jensen probably played softer minutes uh, and uh, gotten some beneficial zone starts and that kind of thing. So it's all context. Uh, it, but, you know, as far as I'm concerned, they've gone away from something that was working without really much reason to to go away from it. So I'd love I'd love to see uh that them come back to that a little bit and until it uh stops working, you know. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean if it's not broken, don't fix it. The time old adage. Um I really don't have anything else that I specifically want to go over. Uh, we, we hit on all the stuff that I thought was kind of most interesting with how the how uh the game's been played, how the teams have been doing. Um I guess the the last thing I do want to ask John and then Greg your thoughts as well. I touched on it at the very beginning of our show, which was kind of the pace of play. And um, we saw kind of in those Saturday and Sunday games, the Capitals just really more on Saturday, uh, not on Sunday at all. We're just playing a pretty slow type of hockey, almost coin flip-esque. Is that what you think they should be doing? And is that what they are consistently doing? John, I want to start with you. Um, well, I think it is what they are doing. I think that they've um, sort of slowed it down. Uh, they're not really pressing the play. They're not aggressively forechecking. And uh, I think part of that could be a, a lack of faith in the goaltending. You know, if you start uh, forechecking harder and uh, trying to open up and get in a little track meet or something like that, you really need the back end to bail you out on those uh, times when it doesn't work in your favor. Uh, so it, it could be that they're not confident enough in the goaltending to open it up. It could be that, uh, this is just how Peter Peter Laviolette wants to play it. You know, uh, it could be that they they don't feel or have the talent to uh, necessarily start running and gunning. So uh, I agree. It, it, it is a, almost, you know, Barry Trotz or even Dale Hunter esque at times, uh, you know, the chip and chase, get it deep, blah, 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 uh, you know, get it out off the glass, et cetera. Uh, it's not thrilling hockey to watch. And, uh, you know, there were times in that, uh, Jersey, I mean, in both games this weekend before the caps really turned it on against Jersey, where it was just, just fucking boring. You know, it just wasn't like particularly interesting, especially at five on five. I mean, a game's always going to be interesting when Alex Ovechkin's playing in it, but you know, uh, the hockey itself, just, uh, it, it's not what it, uh, what it was and everybody, you know, the sooner they realize this isn't the Bruce Boudreaux, 2009, 2010 caps, the, <laughs> the better it's going to be, you know, for, for everyone. So, I mean, should they be doing it? Um, I don't know. Maybe it gives them the best chance to win right now. You know, try to, if given how good their power plays results have been and, you know, Maybe next time uh, we'll talk about the power play uh, itself uh, a little bit more. But given how good the power play results have been and how solid the penalty kill is generally, um, how questionable their goaltending is, maybe it it is best 
to kind of strangle the game at five on five and then uh, try to win it on special teams. It's not appealing to the eyes, but uh, <laughs> maybe maybe it does give them their best chance to to win games uh, right now versus opening it up. And, uh, you know, we talked about the lack of speed in this lineup and, and uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it's probably not what anybody wants to hear, but uh, it, maybe it's the way they should be going. Yeah, and I, I think I think out of or uh, John, something you said there that was that was interesting to me is, and I think it, it's it kind of validates what you're saying is that part of the frustration with Dale Hunter coin flip hockey was uh, you had a team with Alex Ovechkin, you had a team with all of these great players at the top of their powers, and you were basically forcing them at times to play with one arm, one arm behind their their back and. I like now you look at the caps, they have the oldest roster in the NHL. They have yeah, a really kind of a speed deficient team. You have a coach that doesn't exactly do wonders for offense. You look at kind of Nashville, particularly towards the end there, and it's not, they weren't exactly lighting the world to fire offensively. And I think it's at minimum, it's a defensible strategy, even if it is a little boring. So yeah, I kind of agree with what John said. Yeah, not, uh, well, as John said, it might, might help. To get some wins certainly will not help with kind of uh, ease of watching or in maybe you know enjoyment. Hey, if they win, if they win, people will watch. That's what I think. That's what we've all learned. Yes, yes. If they win, they will come. I, I, that that is true. Um, well, that, that that's really it from from me. Thanks, guys, for coming on, uh, John. Where can people follow you on Twitter if they don't? Again, if they don't, obviously if they don't follow you already, they, they probably aren't listening to this podcast. But uh, just in case, this podcast called Japers Rink Radio. Yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> you you can uh, you can follow me on Untapped at JPress41 uh, to see <laughs> to Leading see off the, with the big thing here. Yeah. to see the the beers that I'm drinking. Um, but other than that, uh, you know that 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 that'll be my plug for now. Okay. Greg, you, you already teased your article. You said tomorrow. Tomorrow will be 2.23 um, for everybody that, that is Ow. eagerly awaiting. All right, you're going you're gonna to make me go to my computer and really make sure I finish yes. it up. Well, there. Greg, um, I, I will say you made the mistake of specifying when it would be out. Yes. Sure well, did. I also specified it to John in our, in our Slack chat. So I'm, I'm Well, it's not, a, it's not official until it hits the airwaves. <laughs> <laughs> Although I control when this podcast goes out because I'm the one uh, one on one on production detail. I'll, I'll tweet it out if you don't. Put wow. it <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, but to, to finish your thought, uh, not to be so rude, but I, I will do that. Uh, you can find uh, my stuff at this fine website called japersrink.com. And uh, you can find me at Twitter at, at Greg Y underscore JR. Perfect. All right, guys, thanks a lot for joining us. I hope all of our listeners enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Please go on, give us a five-star review on iTunes. Make sure you spell out that you want John Press to come on more episodes. <laughs> sure that would get him on. Um, thanks again, and we'll, we'll talk to you guys soon.